With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, everyone? It's the Love, the Jam, the podcast coming to you, as always, with Rob. How you doing, Rob? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, how are you doing? I am doing fantastic. And with us is Lucas Hahn. How are you, Lucas? I'm great. It's good to actually be on the show. It's rare. Yeah, it's been a, happy it's to been be a long time. We missed you. Yeah. <laughs> I miss you guys, <laughs> yeah. too. Oh, this is really sweet. It's a really sweet moment. Anyways, the Clippers, though. The Clippers came back from down 28, something we've been kind of used to them doing recently this last this last road trip. These last five games, they've been down 20-plus in every game. They've lost two of those games pretty convincingly. <laughs> but they've won three of them, including this one, 123 to 112 in Boston, a game that I feel like, I can't remember the last time I watched the Clippers that I got this excited after a game. I was very, very excited. Rob and Lucas can attest to that. I texted them both my hype. I was very, <laughs> very hype. I couldn't sleep. I looked up a lot of Landry Shamit highlights because I was mm-hmm. just very stunned at how much he reminded me. I hate to mention it over and over again, but he reminded me very much of JJ Redick. I had heard the comparisons, but I never really watched him in a game. And then I caught myself just kind of watching him off the ball the same way I watched JJ Redick and I would watch plays unravel and kind of watch his movement. And particularly that first three he hit that I think made the game 97, 100. It just felt so JJ the way he just ran around. He pushed the defender off and just kind of sprinted across the, across the floor and caught a pass and was wide open for a three. And it kind of started him his little mini role where he hit two threes in a row and that four-point play. Really, this game in general, were you guys as hyped as I was about this game? We can start with you, Lucas. How did you feel about this game, seeing some of these Clippers in play, and just the general vibe of this team, and what looked like really a blowout loss? It looked like a blowout loss. Corey McGetty and Ralph Lawler were pretty much talking about how the game was done, and it's nice to see the Clippers play, even in what's a blowout. In like the second quarter, they were talking like that. And then the Clippers came back. What do you think about this game, Lucas? Well, so to answer the first question, I don't think I was as hyped as you were. Very hyped. I don't know if anyone was as hyped as you were. Like, I I did finish (laughs) watching the game and then, like, resume my normal activities and then go to bed, you know. Right, right, right. um, Fair. But, no, I mean, I was really happy with the game. Honestly, even when the Clippers were getting blown out, I was, like, fine, you know, just because I think that, what I was really looking for, and I tweeted this before the game started, I'm looking to see just kind of how the new guys fit in. And Boston's a really good team, especially at the beginning of the game. They were just destroying us on both ends. And, you know, that's fine. We're in Boston. It's everyone's first game together. It's cool. But just seeing, you know, Zoo 
and Shemet and those guys, uh, Garrett Temple, all three of them kind of very early on just seeing good signs. I think Garrett Temple is not going to blow anyone out of the water, but he's exactly who we thought he was and kind of what the Clippers need to fill that spot. He's like, imagine if Avery Bradley could have been Garrett Temple, how much better the Clippers <laughs> would have been through 50 games. Right? I think Doc still thinks um, Avery Bradley is Garrett Temple, so, yeah. I think Doc thinks <laughs> that Garrett Temple is a poor man's Avery Bradley. <laughs> right. Um, but, yeah, I could tell, like, even before the Clippers made their comeback and Landry went off in the fourth, you can just tell by how he moves that he's a player. You know what I mean? Like, he had that one play, one of his early buckets, where he, like, dumped the ball to the, like, kind of a bad position post player on the right wing and then came off for the handoff, one dribble, 18 foot pull up baseline jumper. Mm-hmm. And she's like, okay, this guy can, this guy can move, you know, with and without the basketball, he can play. Uh, and I think, to, you know, that's something that Jerome Robinson I've seen in spurts where I can say like, Oh, okay. He's got something. And then there's times where he's maybe invisible or where he looks a little timid. Landry has played a thousand more minutes this season than Jerome. So that, that could explain part of the comfort level. But, you know, whatever, setting aside maybe comparing those two, Landry just looks fantastic. I was, I've actually said, um, I said to Rob, I don't know if I said this to you yesterday, but I think Landry should start at the two. I think it makes more sense for lineups. And I think he's just a huge, huge offensive threat. What do you think about this game? You were closer to my hype level, right? Somebody was closer to my hype level. <laughs> I don't think I was at your hype level. Ah, damn uh, it, Rob. I, <laughs> uh, I, was, I was pretty hyped about it, though. I mean, I think more than anything, kind of like what, what Lucas was saying, more than the win itself, I really liked how the new guys played. I liked how they fit in. I liked how the team as a whole responded. Boston completely collapsed. I mean, the Clippers did very well to get back into this. But the Celtics without Kyrie Irving, all that great, which says – a lot about Kyrie Irving as well as the rest of the Celtics team this season. Yeah, uh, sure. But Shamit looks incredible. I've only seen a few Sixers games this season uh, prior to the last couple. I'm not a huge Ben Simmons fan. And, yeah, I just don't really like watching him play or his personality. So I've been avoiding the Sixers generally. Uh, now that they have Tobias Harris and Boban and, and Mike Scott, I'm going to be watching them more. So I haven't seen him much, but I'm friends. Uh, with a bunch of Sixers um, media people and bloggers, and they all love him. Uh, the fans I know all loved him. They all think he's going to be really good. I still was not expecting him to look that good running off screens. Um, he really he looked like a veteran. It's hard to say that about a guy who's 21 and obviously still a rookie, but he just looked very, very smooth and extremely confident. So that was great. Zubak, I've always – or Zubats, I still don't even know how to pronounce his name. I need to figure that out. Uh, I've always been not quite as high on him as a lot of other people. I think some of his limitations keep him from being, like, a truly interesting young prospect. But there's no doubt he's a big upgrade over Marcin Gortat and the kind of player the Clippers have needed at center all season. Just a big body who can play in the post on both ends and can, you know – kind of protect the rim as well as, you know, not a great finisher, but a guy who can finish stronger than Marcin Gortat. So he can definitely bulk up and, and get tougher in, in the post on offense a little. 
And then Garrett Temple is a guy I've wanted on the Clippers for like five or six years, probably. Um, he would have been perfect on the Lob City era, kind of like Mike Scott, actually, two guys who are here just years after we really could have used them, uh, but just better than Avery Bradley at probably everything except maybe man-on-man defense at the point of attack against small guards. He's better off-ball. He's more versatile just because he's taller. Um, I like his help defense better. He's a better shooter, probably a better ball handler. Doesn't yeah. stop the ball. He's just better. He's just better, like, everything than Avery Bradley. Yeah. And a much better fit, too. I mean, I think a lot of the problem with Bradley wasn't necessarily him. It was that he's just a really horrible fit with the Clippers' other guards. And it's not his fault. He, you know, he wasn't the one who was playing himself 30-plus minutes a game with guys who he didn't fit with. But it was an issue. So I was really excited to see all those guys play well. I think, I mean, Jamichael Green is the least important of those guys. And I think, you know, the one who's even less likely than Temple to be around at all, I think there's at least an outside chance that Temple could be a guy who's, you know, a bench player for this team in futures if they really like what he brings. I mean, I wouldn't bet on it, but it's possible. And I think Green was absolutely horrible in the first half, like really, really bad. But then in the Pretty second bad. half, I thought his minutes were fine. He played solid enough defense. He had that nice finish and transition on the lob. He'll be okay. I mean, I don't think anybody will ever get excited about Jamichael Green, but he'll be fine. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I really liked what I saw from, you know, three and a half of those guys. And I thought the team in general just had a much smoother rotation I like that Doc was still experimenting a little. He played Ty Wallace in the first half before benching him for Jerome when he saw he needed more offense and shooting. I do wish he'd stick with Ty more, but, you know, it is what it is at this point. And, yeah, I'm just – I'm more excited to watch this team. I'm going to miss Tobias and and Mike and and Boban, but this team is younger. I think it fits better, and it's just a more exciting, interesting team to me. So I'm excited for the second half of the season. Yeah, before we talk about the trades a bit, um, so how did you guys like the fits of our current guys with the new pieces? I thought Shea played really well. I don't know particularly how much it was because uh, of Zubac and Temple being in the starting lineup. He did have a little bit of chemistry already with Zubac, some nice passes to Zubac, who showed a good tendency to finish around the rim. Um, Temple, I feel like, just makes everything in the starting lineup flow so much better he just feels like he has such a natural feel for what to do like you were saying Rob he's good off the ball can handle the ball can dribble pretty well he had a nice little dribble pull up mid-range jumper during this game too that we would never see every Bradley do he would just dribble 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 pick and roll and then pass it bounce past the Gortop through his hands or something it'd be terrible but um I just felt like the starters flowed uh, pretty well, aside from the beginning of the game, obviously. That first quarter was a bit of a mess. There were so many turnovers. I just feel like the team just didn't know really where everyone was. But Shea, Beverly, and Gallo, how do you guys see their fits, considering how much struggles the starting lineup had? And assuming that this is maybe the starting lineup going forward, that Temple keeps the small forward spot over someone like Wilson Chandler, uh, how'd you like the flow of that starting five? We can start with you, Rob. I agree with Lucas. Actually, I think with Temple in the starting lineup now, he adds a little bit of that passing and, you know, slight creation that would enable Beverly to go back to the bench. I've been a proponent yeah. of starting Beverly all season and to switch colors like that, you know, suddenly is, 
you know, kind of looks pat on me, I guess. But I really think they probably do need more shooting in that lineup. And at this point, you know, if they make the playoffs, great. If not, you know, that's fine. I think Shamit would actually help Shea more than having an additional ball handler. I think Shea's mm-hmm. been at his best this season when he's just been given the ball and allowed to run, pick, and roll and just play offense. Like, sometimes he'll have some bad turnovers. He had some really bad turnovers. Like that first one where he just lofted a pass in the general vicinity of Marcus Smart. You just can't do that. That um, <laughs> was really bad. Uh, and he had another one where he tried too. Yeah, it was horrible. Yeah. Like, Marcus Smart might be the best perimeter defender in the NBA. You can't just, like, lob a little pass. Um, and he had another really bad one where he tried to get the ball deep. I think it was to Trez who had a seal in the post, but he just really underthrew it. I think it got picked off. It was a really tough pass. But in general, I mean, I think I, I think he played well, and I think he's better when he has the ball in his hands. Like, one of the reasons why he was exciting as a draft prospect is that he can play off ball as well. He can score. He can shoot at least a little bit. But he's, you know, he's a point guard. And the Clippers haven't really played him much at point guard this season. And Beverly, as much as I love Pat Beverly, and I think the decision to close with him over Shea most nights is probably the correct one, just in terms of winning games. He's really not as pure a point guard as Shea. He's not as good a playmaker or passer. And I like his defense off the bench and his energy. I think him, Lou, and Trez off the bench together is just a, a trio you, that will just destroy opponents. So I think Shamit starting makes more sense for both units. Um, mm-hmm. And it would also allow Jerome to possibly get more minutes in the second lineup, whereas if you have Shamit off the bench, it doesn't make that much sense to play him and Jerome together. It's a ton of shooting, but also a lot of bad defense, especially when you have Lou as well. Um, so I think that is a switch that, you know, I would be okay with happening. I don't, I don't think it will happen. I think Beverly's probably going to start. Um, but on the whole, I think, you know, Temple fit in very well. Zubok is a much better fit than Gortat, um, just because of his defense. And even on offense, if you dump the ball to him, it's not an automatic missed shot (laughs) or turnover (laughs) like it was with Gortat, who just, they gave the ball to him sometimes in the post and it was, just never going to pan out. With Zubak, it's not pretty, but he can at least kind of do something there. He had a few possessions where he caught the ball 10 or 15 out and backed his way down and made it, or at least, you know, looked passable doing so. So I think he and Temple are, are definitely good fits, should continue to start, uh, probably start Shamit over Beverly. But, you know, yeah, I like the new guys. I like their fit. Lucas, anything to mention aside from Shamit being a starter? Yeah, I mean, I I agree with what Rob said. I'll, I'll just add that, you know, it's not necessarily with these guys about, like, the traditional starting role versus the traditional backup role. Like, I would start Shamit over Pat Beverly, but Pat would still be playing 28, 30 minutes a night by all means mm-hmm. because, I mean, you can't take away from what he's doing. But, yeah, I think the main concern for me is as the starting lineup is currently structured – the only two guys who you can really ask to go make a play for you are Shea and Gallo. Gallo has his hot nights, has his cold nights, is not necessarily the most assertive guy in terms of being like, you know, a Jimmy Butler, a Chris Paul, whoever that guy is, who you know you can just throw the ball to and he's going to go get buckets. Sometimes he defers. And Shea, as great as Shea is, is still inconsistent as a rookie guard. And so nights like against Boston – where he has a couple of early turnovers and he doesn't come out super sharp. I think that's 
when the Clippers would be really, you know, really would stand to benefit from having a more offensive, offensive-minded shooting guard like Landry Schumet, who they can run those J.J. Redick sets for and get looks for. And then on the bench unit, the Clippers actually did run with a Lou, Landry, Jerome, Gallo, and Montrez lineup for a stretch in this Boston game, which is just an insane lineup of shooting. Um, and it went okay for the few minutes they did it, but I feel like if they start turning to a Lou, Landry, Jerome, three-guard lineup, with any consistency, teams are just going to exploit the hell out of that perimeter defense. So I'm worried yeah. about if we start – yeah, if we start seeing that, I, I'm getting a little worried. And by the way, it's Zubat, like a T sound, Zubat. Zubat. Okay, that's actually what I thought. And I was trying to explain it to my dad, and I thought that was it, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, Zubat. Yeah. Zubat. I don't know how to explain it, but I'll remember it. Zubat. Is it, and is it Shamet or Shamet? I don't know. You don't know? Okay. We'll figure it out. Okay. Uh, so, any other thoughts about this game? It was kind of a loaded game. Uh, Trez played well. Really just good, pretty good um, contributions down the line. Lou didn't shoot particularly well, but he hit some big shots. Uh, before we talk a little bit about the trade deadline, those remaining trades aside from the Tobias trade, uh, anything else you guys want to mention? It was a really, it was a really fun game. I was pretty into the end of this game. It was a crazy fourth quarter. Uh, Rob, did you want to talk about this game at all? Aside from what we've already mentioned? Uh, not particularly. I think, you know, if we want to look outside the Clippers, I think the Celtics are in a bit of trouble. I've been kind of high on them all season. I thought people were panicking early, were being kind of ridiculous. Uh, but they do not look particularly great, and I think they really need Kyrie not just on the court but playing really big minutes to reach their top version of their team, which is fine. I mean, the playoffs is going to be playing 40 minutes a game, but they were all supposed to be about depth, and their depth did not play great. Uh, I also thought it wasn't a great sign that Jason Tatum got rattled so easily by Pat Beverly, yeah. who's like eight inches shorter than he is. But Pat Beverly has just been playing out of his mind the past couple months. I don't think I can underrate how good he's been at so many random things for the Clippers. Um, and obviously, I think the biggest leader in the locker room this season. So I don't really have too much to add. I think the fact that they won a game where Lou wasn't very good and Gallo was fine but not great is very impressive uh, and speaks to just kind of the depth of the roster so, yeah, that was cool. And Lou, you know, he deserves, a you know, a bad game after some of the games he's had recently. Um, yeah. But if they're going to make a run at the playoffs, like, they need him to be pretty good just about every night, I'd say. Yeah, Marcus Morris really dragged the team uh, after this game. Talked about really their spirit practically being dead, not having fun on the court. It's really, really depressing quotes from him. The Celtics look like a mess. Pretty crazy that this team played so well without Kyrie last year, um, considering how lost they looked without him in this game and at times this season. Lucas, anything else to mention about this game? No, not really. I, I just uh, that Morris quote that you just mentioned. I think um, I said this is like year five Lob City material. Like this right. is not good. Yeah, that was that was really really bad. Anyways, enough of the Celtics. Uh, good luck to them. The East is going to be crazy in that second round. Uh, now let's talk a little bit about these trades, maybe what they mean going forward for this team. Um, so 
few more trades that happened. Of course, we got Landry Shamet. We mentioned him already in the Tobias deal. But a few other deals that we got. Of course, the Avery Bradley deal, which um, was much celebrated by Clipper fans all across the world. Jermichael Green uh, and Garrett Temple for Avery Bradley somehow wasn't a pick attached or anything. Um, Avery Bradley is no longer a Clipper, and we got a couple of role players back. Garrett Temple at least looked pretty pretty good this game. Jermichael Green, uh, we'll see. He's still, you know, he's a surprisingly good three point shooter. He's supposed to he's supposed to be a pretty gritty player. Um, and we saw shades of that, so he could still be a nice rotation player going forward. Didn't particularly see that in one game. Of course, it's just one game. <laughs> I don't, don't really know what else to say about this deal, aside from just hallelujah, Avery Bradley is gone. Thank goodness. Did you guys have anything else to say aside from what were the Grizzlies thinking? Let me start with you, Rob. Not particularly. I think, yeah, I don't, the, I don't know what the Grizzlies were thinking. I didn't like any of their moves. I mean, I thought the return for Gasol was fine. This trade was baffling. I mean, they obviously don't care about being good this season. So I guess they were trying to lower their salary this year. They got, they moved down several million dollars by swapping uh, Temple and, and Green. I think together they make like 21 million for Bradley, who's like 12.5 or something. But it did not make much sense. And he was his typical, I think he was three for 10 in his <laughs> debut and a, and a minus and a plus minus in the game they won. So classic Avery Bradley uh, stuff happening there. Um, yeah, I don't have too much to say. I mean, I'm happy the Clippers got such a good return for him. I was surprised that they got that good a return for him. I was one of the skeptics who thought nobody really wanted him. And the Grizzlies didn't really want him. It was just kind of a, a salary dump. So I guess I was kind of right. But I was happy about it. As I said, I've, you know, I've loved Garrett Temple forever. Um, he's one of the probably best character guys in the NBA from just about what everybody has said about him in all the different locker rooms. The Wizards yeah. loved him, and that is not a team that has loved many guys over the years. <laughs> um the Kings loved him, I think. He might be – I think he's vice president of the Players Association. I might mm. be fact-checked on that, but I think he is. Very popular, very well-liked, well-respected. Happy to add him. Jamichael Green, I don't have much. I think Sabrina – I think Lucas mentioned Sabrina said he's been really bad this year. I have been avoiding Grizzlies games like the plague as much <laughs> as I love Jaron Jackson Jr. That team is a mess and was horrible to watch as well. Uh, but in the past couple years, he's been, you know, a pretty good rotation player. I know Zach Lowe really likes him or just says he's good. Um, there are a couple other national guys who like him too. I'm not particularly worried about one game. So I will say he seems a lot more like a center than a power forward. In the second half, when he looked good, it was because he was guarding Tice and Al Horford and to a lesser extent Marcus Morris. Uh, when he was guarding smaller guys in the first half, he looked very slow on the perimeter. So that could be something to watch in that I don't know how great he'll be as power forward, but it could really depend on matchups. But I don't have anything else inside. Except I'm happy Bradley is gone, obviously. Yeah, what about you, Lucas? How happy are you that Bradley is gone? Oh, I'm well, I'm thrilled that Avery Bradley is gone. I mean, this I could not be happy. It was – I think Avery Bradley might be not not – the worst, but one of a select few 
of my least favorite Clippers players ever. Yeah. I mean, it was like it yep. like he's right there with like Paul Pierce for me. Yeah, honestly. we were just we were we've been talking about this. I think he is my least favorite Clipper of all time, amazingly. Even less than Paul Pierce. Incredibly. I mean then then there's you know, there's Spencer Hawes, there's Jordan Farmar, right but but yeah, I yeah. was I just no 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 no. I did not I'm so glad that Avery Brad I don't have to watch him play basketball anymore. And he's playing for the Grizzlies, which means I don't have to even worry about him potentially being on my TV, um, <laughs> except for when the Clippers are, you know, play against them, which I think they have a, a couple games left head to head. I will say with, um, with green, like Robert was, yeah, I, his stats look good. There's always been this kind of weird thing with Jim Michael green where he's like Memphis is sitting over there. Like, Hey, look at this guy we have. Look at his per 36 stats. He gets good rebounds. He hustles. He's young. He's athletic. He's shooting some threes. Look at this guy. He's great. Does anyone want to trade for him? And no one wants to trade for him, which I always thought was kind of interesting. Um, that, like, you know, the, I think he's just one of those guys where, like, on paper it looks good and on the court it just doesn't. And once you get to the point of the process where you're actually scouting a guy to think about trading for him or think about signing him, you start realizing that he isn't actually helping the team very much when he's on the court, even though, you know, he's putting, putting together a decent basketball reference page for himself. Like, yeah, he shoots 39% from three, but, you know, it's low volume, slow release. So, like, yeah, it's nice that he's added that element to his game besides shooting mid-range jumpers. It's not like he's quite evolved into a shooter yet either. And, you know, Rob says he might look – he's maybe more of a center than a forward – but one of the Grizzlies reporters who I talked to after this deal told me that he's really unplayable if he doesn't have a rim protector next to him. So that puts you in a really difficult bind when a guy isn't that good to begin with and, you know, can't play center because he needs a rim protector next to him, but can't play the four because he can't guard anyone. I, I am expecting, honestly, that once it gets to the point that, you know, Wilson Chandler's back in a couple of weeks, Wilson probably goes into the backup four spot and we don't see very much of green again. But I think, I mean, even that being said, the deal was totally worth it. I would have gladly traded Avery Bradley for green straight up and then just sat green the whole year. Like Avery Bradley is a different attraction to be able to get Garrett temple for him is fantastic. I did think that Avery, because Avery had a little bit of a resurgence in January. He shot 39% from three And it got to the point where part of the issue, I think a bigger piece of the issue with Avery was Doc overusing him and relying on him too much. And Avery was actually kind of, he was kind of solid in January. 39% from three, pesky on-ball defender. Like, he was okay. Uh, He just was playing way too much when the, the Clippers have other better guards. But I was thinking that it was maybe a situation where the Clippers would be able to get, like, and expiring and a second for him or use his expiring to try to like, I was looking at, you know, Wesley Matthews who got bought out by the Knicks um, and he had an $18 million contract. And I was thinking, well, if he gets bought out, he's never going to sign with the Clippers. Can the Clippers use their expirings and a second round pick to trade for him from the Knicks before the Knicks buy him out? That's the kind of deal that I was thinking of, but it turned out that after the Grizzlies made this deal for Marc Gasol in which they took back quite a bit of salary they found themselves like $3 million over the luxury tax line for a team that's 
going to be miserable and is essentially tanking. They could have turned Garrett Temple into a second-round pick. Instead, they turned Garrett Temple and Green into Avery Bradley's deal, which is slightly cheaper than the two of them combined. It let them get back out of luxury tax territory. Um, so it's, you know, a money-saving deal basically for them. And it worked out quite nicely for the Clippers who desperately needed forward depth after the Tobias Harris deal. Yeah. So I think, I mean, it just worked out for everyone. It worked out especially for the Clippers. <laughs> so I yeah. think we can talk a little bit about the Zubat trade. Um, and I've talked to a few of my Laker fan friends just because I wanted to understand a little bit more if this wasn't just a panic trade for the Lakers and really just kind of seems like it was. The trade pretty much was Zubat and Michael Beasley for Muscala, for Mike Muscala, who was a, pretty much a throw-in in the Philadelphia trade for Tobias Harris. And the idea was pretty much that they would get a shooter, we would get Zubat, who apparently a lot of Laker fans seem to think that they just didn't have him in the cards for their future, possibly didn't want to pay him for the future. I just it doesn't make much sense to me because I feel like he's going to be a pretty cheap get uh, for a center position that they're really not having much depth in and they have older players in either way. It's just an incredible get for us because I think Zubat is just the perfect fit at center, especially considering we have Montrez Harrell who can absorb a lot of minutes. Uh, from that center spot, play the majority's lion's share of the minutes. But Zubat wouldn't be a, net, a huge negative that Gortat was. And we can grow him to be a kind of center of the future where eventually, you know, he could grow into his body, kind of expand his game a little bit more and be our center for the future. And I, I don't expect him to be particularly expensive. I know, I believe he has a qualifying like 1.9 million um a qualifying offer that I'm sure will match and go a bit over. And I don't know what the market will be for him, particularly considering he was so cheap to get in the first place. Uh, Lucas, what do you think about Zubat? And, you know, he's clearly a great fit right now compared to Gortat, but what about his potential future here with the Clippers? It's only been a game, but it does sound like, you know, Doc has already mentioned in the press that, the idea of Zubat being our center of the future and being a real piece for us going forward. How much do you think it would be to keep him around and how can we kind of finagle to keep him around considering the lofty expectations the team has this summer to possibly, you know, get a Kawhi type and maybe even try and get two uh, max players, you know, trying to maybe deal Gallinari somehow to get that cap space. What do you think about Zubat's future and how we can kind of bring him along for the ride for the next coming years or so. Yeah. I mean, for me, that was maybe the most brilliant thing that the Clippers did at this deadline because there's two, you know, I think the Clippers right now, me thinking about the Clippers kind of overall team building. I had two questions about the center position. The first was going into this deadline. How can we make an upgrade on Gortat without taking on long-term salary that will affect free agency? So I was thinking maybe, Gortat and a second round pick for Robin Lopez, right? Just get a marginal upgrade for the last 30 games of the year. The other question is who is going to be the, you know, you talk about Montrezl Harrell soaking up a lot of minutes, kind of being the main center, but still sort of needing to come off of the bench. Who's going to be the Clippers kind of placeholder, large human (laughs) in free agency after they do that? Are they going to be able to go out and get a guy for the minimum who can do what they're going what they sort of need from that position 
and who will be accepting of coming in to be the starting center but only playing 18 minutes a night. With Zubats, you solve both problems at the same time, right? Because I think it's clear, even from one game, that he's better than Gortat right now, right? I mean, I don't think that that's something that is, would really be disputable. And going into free agency this summer, assuming that he proves over the next, you know, 25 games that he's good enough to be the Clippers starter, going into free agency this summer, he's a restricted free agent with a qualifying offer of $1.9 million. So you extend that qualifying offer, he's on the books for $1.9 million, which is practically nothing, right? You go and you make, these, you make these other moves, you still have all of this big cap space to go get you know, Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, whoever it is that you want to go target. And then after you've used up all your cap space, you come back to Zubats at $1.9 million, and you know, let's say he goes signs an offer sheet somewhere else, you can exceed the cap to match it. Let's say that he wants to negotiate with you, you have his bird rights to negotiate a longer deal with him. So it's just great to get – I mean, that's, so this, that's one of the problems, like with a guy like Patrick Beverly, for example, is Pat's cap hold is over $9 million this summer. So the Clippers are going to have to renounce his cap hold and lose his bird rights in order to operate with all of this cap room that they want, which will then make keeping him sort of difficult. With Zubots, because the cap hold is less than $2 million, it's really easy to hold on to those rights that you have and then deal with him at the end of the summer. So I thought it was just brilliant how they were able to get him to fit into that deal. I think the Clippers, I, I mean, the Lakers, this is one of the, the more foolish trades I've seen uh, that I can remember seeing, really. I mean, the thinking behind it from the Lakers' perspective is, they did not want Michael Beasley anymore, right? He played his way out of the rotation. He was having, you know, some kind of conflict with Luke Walton where he kept on calling Luke Walton bro. And, <laughs> yes, yeah, right? I, so, so they did not want Michael Beasley anymore. And they wanted to free up a roster spot, which they were not going to be able to do um, without cutting someone because they had 15 players on the roster. Now, they did not want to cut. Uh, Michael Beasley and pay him his three and a half million dollars. So they, you know, just like maybe you would say, we don't want to cut someone and pay them three and a half million dollars. So we're going to attach a second round pick and send that contract somewhere else for them to cut him. Instead of attaching a second round pick, they attached a 21 year old center in his third season after being a second round pick who just so happens to have been really fucking good for the Lakers this year and come in and be the day one starter for the Clippers. So it makes no sense. The only other thing that could be possible is if the Lakers really think that JaVale McGee and Tyson Chandler are so much better than Zubats right now, and they wanted actually two roster spots to use one of the roster spots on a guy like Mike Muscala to come in and be a stretch big man. And then the other one on a guy like Carmelo Anthony, but, even then, it seems like it would have way, made way more sense to get rid of Tyson Chandler and just let Zubats be the backup center. I totally don't buy this line of reasoning. Oh, well, they weren't going to keep him anyway. I mean, he had, a, like I said, less than $2 million qualifying offer. It, any team is going to extend that for a 21-year-old player with promise. So I think that's a little revisionist to try to like explain away why the Lakers made a dumb move. But yeah, I mean, this is just, the Memphis one, 
I think the Clippers got amazing value. I think Memphis probably could have done better if they weren't pressed up against the trade deadline. And, but ultimately, they got rid of two players who would have helped them win games in a season when they're trying to lose games, and they avoided the luxury tax. So you get it. The Lakers trade is just stupid. And, you know, it comes out of the front office that stupidity is kind of what we expect from them. <laughs> Rob, what do you think about stupidity? Yeah, the Lakers are dumb. I, I, <laughs> I don't think there's really much other way to paint it at this point. I think outside of locking into LeBron through absolutely nothing they themselves did, they had a horrible summer. I don't think they've drafted particularly well. I don't think they've de- developed their young guys well. They haven't filled out the roster around LeBron James very well. The Reggie Bullock trade was good for them. They sent out a, a guy in Svee. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, who is like a very fringe NBA player. I mean, he can probably shoot, but Bullock is, you know, a nice rotation player. That was fine. The Zubats trade makes no sense. Uh, Muscala is another fringe NBA guy. Like, he can hit threes from the center position, but, like, he's bad at everything else, and he's not even that great a three-point shooter. It's not like he's Brooke Lopez or Ryan Anderson or something. So uh, it was a very questionable move. It was obviously just game one, but I watched the Sixers-Lakers game, and he was horrible today um, in that game. I, I'm I'm happy the Clippers were able to flip him because his dad also has some questionable takes on things. Um, sure. I was not excited to root for him. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I, for the Lakers, it just makes no sense. It really doesn't. I think Zubats isn't amazing, but he's a very solid young prospect center. I think he's absolutely better than Tyson Chandler now, who looks completely and utterly washed. Uh, I don't, I don't really see any other way to argue otherwise. He just does not look good, and he hasn't looked good since like the first five games he's a Laker. McGee is fine, but I think Zubats is probably better than him too, at least at some things. So, I don't think it helps Lakers now. It certainly doesn't help them in the future. He was an asset who they were arguing just a week ago was at least a semi-important piece of an Anthony Davis mm-hmm. trade, and then you're giving up him for Mike Muscala and a roster spot, like, absolutely baffling. For the Clippers, I like it a lot. I mean, again, like, I don't think Zubats is going to be an all-star. I mean, I'm not sure if he's even really going to be a full-caliber starting center down the line, but he's at least a fairly capable stopgap in the March and Gortat mold, except much better, and he certainly can improve a lot. I think a lot of the basic tools are there. He's really large. He moves very well for somebody who is that large. I think the tools are there for him to be a plus player on both ends, which is, you know, it's nice. And against a guy like Carl Anthony Towns tomorrow, he's a relatively solid player to throw at him. Like, I'm not expecting him to stop Carl Anthony Towns. Towns is probably going to destroy the Clippers, as he always does. But he's a much better matchup on Towns than Gortat was or than Harrell is or any of the other Clippers guys. So, it was a brilliant trade from the Clippers, but definitely their best overall in just in terms of sheer value and that they flipped the guy who they had no need for whatsoever uh, for a promising young center who could either be an asset if they resign him and then try to flip him or just a young guy to grow with their core. So it was a great trade for them. Lakers get an F and they're horrible. Um, yeah, the, the Clippers, I think, really just took advantage of a really shitty front office. No, I think that was what that trade was about. <laughs> yeah, and I think, like, Mike, 
Mike Muscala, right? Like, I think of Mike Muscala. Mike Muscala is a stretch big man in the same way that Wesley Johnson is a three and D forward. Right? Like, yeah. He is, yeah. He is exactly replacement level where if you don't have a player with a pulse who has the physical metrics and baseline skills to do what you need from that position, he technically qualifies, but there is rarely going to be a time when he's on the floor performing those duties when you're not thinking, man, it would be nice to have someone who's better at this. Um, And so for me, like I was, I was actually worried that the Clippers were going to play him uh, (laughs) when like, um, I know there was some, some talk that maybe the Clippers would like be playing him instead of Gortat and like having him and Montrez trade off at the, at the five. I'm not like talk, not like real talk. I just, you know, during the chaos of the trade line, people throwing out ideas of what the rotation could look like. I was like, that's going to be atrocious. Like, that's literally like saying give Wesley Johnson the you know the keys to the small forward position, right? You don't want to do that. So um, yeah, so yeah, I'm you know I don't hate Mike Muscala or whatever, but I'm kind of happy to have avoided him for you know a couple different reasons, and to be able to not only avoid him but to actually get Zubats, who I do think is good enough to be the Clippers' starting center this season and going forward on a cost control deal, is just phenomenal yeah pretty incredible pretty incredible that they could have traded Muscala I don't know much about Muscala I know that he hasn't been shooting well for the Sixers he shot better before doesn't look like a particularly impressive player whatsoever from the little I've seen from him Zubac I don't really know from a few Laker games uh, particularly the Oklahoma City game that they won earlier a couple of weeks ago where he looked particularly impressive and kind of won the game for them down the stretch Um, was impressed with him then. And of course was impressed with him yesterday. He looks like a nice player, just a much better Gortat in every way. Um, So I don't know if you guys want to talk about the cap situation now. It is kind of interesting how the Clippers have kind of, they haven't really changed too much about their cap situation as much as they've, just garnered some more interesting contracts. The Zubat, Zubat deal, we've already talked about how they can keep him. Shemet's, uh contract, which is just incredible, incredibly cheap for the next few years uh, as a piece, like a legit piece on this team, possibly even a starter at that two spot being so cheap is incredible. Uh, but really just some of the logistics of what the Clippers want to do going forward, the Kawhi deal, the possibility of opening up two max contracts, and keeping a lot of these pieces, it is probably worth thinking about a little bit now. Lucas, I'm probably going to let you just kind of run with this a bit. So what do you see the Clippers ideally wanting to do? Let's say that let's say that Kawhi Leonard wants to be, be a Clipper and then Kevin Durant also wants to be a Clipper. Let's just say that they want to sign, sign two max superstars. They don't particularly have the space to outright do that right now. How would they be able to do something like that? Yeah, so there's, there's two ways, basically, that you would go about it. So right now, as it stands, the Clippers are going to have about $54 million in cap room. So you can sign uh, Kawhi Leonard to his max deal, which is $32 million. Since Kevin Durant has been in, been in the league for over 10 years, his is 
around 37 million. But so you have 54. You have to clear some more room if you want to be able to sign both of them outright. So there's two ways you can go about that. The first is Danilo Gallinari, one-year expiring deal, $22 million. He's having a pretty good season this year. You are going to be able to move that deal. You may, you, it's not even like you have to attach a pick to it. Like you may even get an asset back, you know, something just like a lottery protected first or something for someone to take Gallinari. And then you would have the cap space to sign them both outright. That, of course, would make a lot of sense because, you know, if you get uh, Durant and Leonard, then Kawhi's going to play the three, Durant's going to play the four, and you don't really have much of a need for Gallinari anyway. But you could also create the space if you got rid of Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell, and Jerome Robinson. So an interesting thing, you just talked about how great Landry's contract is. Yeah, Landry Shamit has a great contract, and what's really what it does in a sense is it makes Jerome Robinson expendable because they are both rookie shooting guards, They're both you know three point shooter specialists. Although they have kind of different takes on their game, but it's kind of clear I think right now that Landry's the better player. Maybe not for their whole careers, but right now Landry's better, and Landry is a million and a half dollars cheaper next season. So makes the makes Jerome Robinson a little expendable. If you move Jerome, Montrez, and Lou, you're also going to be able to get assets back in those salary dump deals because Lou and Montrez are both really sought-after guys. And then you would have space to sign Kawhi and Kevin Durant and still have Gallinari. Why would you still want Gallinari when you just got – an all-NBA small forward, and an all-NBA power forward. Because Danilo Gallinari's contract is enough that it can be traded straight up for Anthony Davis. So now you start thinking, well, if we just got maybe a couple first-round picks for Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell in trades, and we have those two first-round picks that we got from Philadelphia in the Tobias Harris trade, and by the way, let's say the Clippers make the playoffs this spring. They convey that pick to Boston. Now the Clippers own 2020 and 2022 first-round picks become available to trade. Now you're talking about Daniel Gallinari, Zubats. Well, you can't really trade Zubats because he's on a restricted free agency. But Daniel Gallinari, six first-round picks, um, including the really valuable 2021 Miami unprotected pick, to try and go make a run at Anthony Davis. So if you think that those pieces can all fall into place, if you have that conversation with New Orleans ahead of time and that sounds like they're in, you could potentially put together like a Shea, Landry, Kawhi, Durant, Davis starting five for next season. It'd be pretty nice. Sounds like a, sounds like a good team. Pretty nice. I do not see it happening um, by any right. stretch. I think that um, Durant, you know, I think that the Clippers could potentially get a second star. I don't think Durant is the second star. I just don't – I think he wants a little more of the clear alpha role wherever he goes next. So maybe if the Clippers don't get Kawhi and you talk about, okay, well, we're going to get Jimmy and Durant, well, then Jimmy's clearly the number two to Durant, right? Or you say we're going to get Kemba and Durant. Kemba's clearly the number two to Durant. So then maybe KD would be more amenable to coming. But I don't think he's going to want to just follow wherever Kawhi goes. 
And I also don't think that just Gallo and a bunch of picks is going to get you Anthony Davis, even if it might be good value for the Pelicans. I think they just feel like they need to bring a little bit more back to their fan base of something that's like tangible, that's going to be on the court in, uh, in November, even if it's not like, even if it's prospects and not already established players, I just don't know if they're going to be able to say, well, the most valuable thing we got back for Anthony Davis was a 2021 first round draft pick. That just doesn't seem like it's going to keep the fan base uh, in seats. So, yeah, so I don't think either of those things are really necessarily possible, but um, mathematically, that's how it works out. I think what's far more likely is you see the Clippers go after a guy like Kawhi Leonard, who we know they want badly, and then they have $22 million after that to do some combination of pursue other players, keep Pat Beverly, keep Garrett Temple, uh, whatever they feel is necessary to do. Yeah, that was pretty much going to be my next idea. Rob, so assuming Kevin Durant doesn't come to the Clippers, I don't think Durant is going to come to the Clippers. Maybe he does. Who knows? Really, you can never predict that guy. But if left with the option of Kawhi and a non-Anthony Davis star to try and finagle, let's say, Gallinari to try and get a second star uh, back for Gallo, or to just get Kawhi and just put pieces around Kawhi with maybe the existing roster, maybe some other role players. Where would you go with that? Would you try and get? Would you try and do the former or the latter? Would you go with Kawhi and try and swing for the fences of the second superstar, or Kawhi and maybe fill the team with sort of a Raptors esque, you know, field of depth? I mean, I think if you have the chance to get a true superstar next to Kawhi, you have to do it. I think that where the difficulty comes is what exactly constitutes right. a second superstar. Like, is Kemba Walker a superstar? Probably not. Is he worth a max? Maybe. Uh, Lucas and I were texting about this earlier today. It's like, Clay Thompson, is he good enough to really be, like, number two? I and mean, he was basically the second option on the first Warriors title. But that was a while ago, and the NBA has changed a fair amount since then. Um, you know, we see a guy who you're willing to pay a max contract to, like a four- or five-year max, uh, going into his 30s where he's going to be your number two guy next to Kawhi, and that also has limited ball handling with those two. Like, I'm not sure about that. Um, so, I, you know, it really depends. Jimmy Butler is another guy who's available and who's been connected to the Clippers on multiple occasions, and He's a better fit with Kawhi, but there are huge questions about his locker room presence, his overall attitude. I also think he's somewhat overrated as a player, though I'd probably get some pushback on that. But, you know, I think it really depends on who that second star is. I mean, if you can get Kawhi and KD or Kawhi and Anthony Davis, absolutely. I mean, you have to do that. You know, if it's Kawhi and Jimmy Butler, it's, you know, somewhat less enticing, but probably still a better option than filling out the rest of the roster. But then again, I mean, it depends on who else you can get. I mean, if you're able to keep Pat Beverly and Zubots and then, you know, have all the other young guys and then maybe get, you know, a Danny Green, just bring him over with Kawhi as, you know, a backup wing. 
I can't, I don't have enough free agent lists on the top of my head, but, you know, I mean, I think there are other good options to fill out the roster. So I think it, it ultimately depends on who the second star is. I think Kemba is an option just because Charlotte's situation is so hopeless. They love him. He loves it there. But I just don't know why he would really go back there from a basketball perspective. Clay, I don't think, is leaving Golden State. I have absolutely no sources or intelligence but on that, but it just seems like he'd be silly to leave a perfect situation. They'd be silly to let him leave. Um, you know, somebody who's an absolutely ideal fit next to Steph, who they're committed to forever, really. I mean, it's Steph, the Splash Brothers. So that, you know, that limits the pool a little bit. Obviously, Tobias Harris isn't really an option anymore. So, you know, you, you start counting down the options. You know, the other guys, Chris Middleton, I don't think is a max-worthy player at all, and the Bucks are going to re-sign him anyway. So it gets tricky. I think a guy who could be on the trade block who I know we've discussed before is Brad Beal. If he tells the Wizards that he wants out this summer, I think there's a possibility he gets traded. And, you know, if you send Gallinari, Jerome Robinson, and a future pick, I think that would probably work. Uh, the Wizards might want a little bit more. I'd, I'd be willing to give a little bit more, but he's the guy who I think would fit really well with Kawhi and who has two years on his deal, which aren't cheap by any means, but they're also not what a full Supermax would be for one of these other guys. So I think that would be another option. But, I mean, I think, you know, if it's AD or, or KD next to Kawhi, that you you have to go for it, even if it means selling, like, the entire rest of your team outside of Kawhi. Right. I pretty much yeah, agree would, with that. Also, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I would just add to that that one thing the Clippers can do, right, so they can move Gallinari to open up a second max slot this coming year. But I was saying to Robert, if my options are give Kemba Walker, like, a four-year, $130 million deal, considering that the Clippers already have pretty good guards, I mean, none of their guards are as good as Kemba, but I don't really want to give Kemba four years and $139 million or whatever the max is. I would rather just keep Gallinari on his one-year $22 million deal and then roll into free agency in um, in 2020 with a max slot then to, to see what comes up. Because you never know what's going to happen around the NBA, right? It's kind of unpredictable what players are going to become available. And, yeah, I mean, just throwing it out there, right, like that's when, for example, a guy like Giannis will be going into the last year of his deal. Who knows if the Bucks have anxiety about re-signing him or how the situations develop there, not that there's any reason to think that there's trouble in paradise, um, if you can call Milwaukee paradise. But, you know, the, we see situations like this, right, where – Guys reach the end of their second contract, want to leave their small market team. So the Clippers can either, right, if, like Robert said, if a guy like Kevin Durant becomes available, that's the guy. It's not getting better than that. If a guy like Anthony Davis becomes available to you, you have to jump on it. But if they're in a situation where they're going to seriously, you know, do what, in my opinion, would be an overcommitment to a guy like Kemba Walker, I think they would do better to stay flexible so that they are in a position to get the Kevin Durant, the Giannis, the Anthony Davis, whoever it is to come be the second star when the time comes. Because 
the reason the Clippers have so much flexibility is because they're in this situation where they have these cost-controlled young players. So if your starting backcourt is Shea and Landry, well, Shea and Landry are going to be making less than $10 million combined for each of the next three seasons. So that's where your window comes to make these big upgrades. If you give a guy like Kemba a big three- or four-year deal, by the time that that deal is up and you're, you, know, you would potentially have money again to go add another core piece, well, by then you're going to have to have paid big extensions out to the younger, cheaper guys in the rotation right now. So I would, I would be very patient in pursuing the top-level talent that you need to become a championship contender. It's also probably worth noting, even if the Clippers are able to get a guy like Kawhi Leonard, if their starting backcourt is two 22-year-old guards next season, they probably aren't going to be a championship-caliber team, even if they're going to be very good. So I would bide my time, treat it like another building year. And, you know, the Clippers will be very good, but roll into the into 2023 agency looking to see if you can get that second star that you need. Um, again, if you can get Kevin Durant or Anthony Davis, or even for me, Clay Thompson is one of those guys that I would go for. But, you know, a Kemba Walker type, I would kind of chill on that. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a fair point, and I think it's fair to kind of use this money wisely. Of course, you swing for the fences for KD and uh, and someone as good, even even someone as Kyrie. Would you guys – that's an interesting question. Um, there's a lot of talk about Kyrie Irving and his deal. Considering his his leg injuries, would you guys max someone like Kyrie, assuming that you could get him, yeah. you know, for a new yeah. contract right yeah. now? Yeah. Yes? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I was on the Kyrie's overrated bandwagon for a number of years, but his past two seasons, he's been very freaking good. Uh, and he fits very well with Kawhi, too, who I think has to be the number one guy. I mean, he is the number one guy the Clippers are chasing. So you have to assume that any other person, you have to think of their fit with Kawhi. I think Kyrie isn't a phenomenal fit with Kawhi because, you know, he has the ball handling, the additional outside shooting, um, he's just really good. You have to be worried about the injuries and just by his overall kind of weirdness. <laughs> he <laughs> seems like a very strange dude. Um, but most NBA superstars, I think, are very weird dudes. Being that famous and that successful probably warps your mind a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think Kyrie is an easy max for me. Um, yeah, being, being famous and successful has done a number on my mind. Like, my brain is melted. No, the no yeah. laugh from from my famous <laughs> well, musical joke. Come on, yeah, that was, that, that, Come on, that was Robin. good. I was not muted. No, I, I was muted. I was laughing. <laughs> uh, yeah, All right. I, 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 <laughs> I don't. I don't know if you guys know, but um, I have I have a basketball blog. Kind of a big deal. Not very many. Oh, people really? Tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, no. yeah. <laughs> Kyrie is good. I agree with you guys. He is he is a max player. He's been amazing this year. Uh, just hopefully those injuries don't come back to bite him. They're always all oh, those leg injuries are always worrisome, especially knee injuries. Um, yeah. So I think I think the Clippers are in pretty amazing spot going forward. They have a lot of flexibility. We got to talk about the cap a little bit. So as far as this year, I think I've seen Lucas's Twitter talk about how. 
he does think the Clippers can make the playoffs this year. It is kind of an interesting point of, you know, not contention, but debate whether this Clipper team will make the playoffs right now. Uh, they're in pretty decent, uh, they're in a pretty decent space. They don't have the hardest schedule of a lot of the bottom, uh, the around the eighth place teams right now fighting for that eighth place. And I don't know, you know, I think the team is really good. It's, debatable even it's arguable to an extent even if they're almost as good as the team was you know even with Tobias which is pretty incredible considering what an awesome season Tobias had for the Clippers and so Lucas what what makes you think I know you've talked a little bit about this on social media but what makes you think that the Clippers are going to make the playoffs this year well I'm so maybe gonna is a strong (laughs) word have a good um, chance. But I think I think, I think the Clippers certainly can make the playoffs, right? Because maybe maybe a good way to think about it is last year, right? Last year when the Western Conference was like from three to ten, separated by one game with a month left in the season, and it was crazy race to the finish, right? I kept on saying when I'm thinking about which teams I think are safe. Well, okay, Oklahoma City is definitely safe. Because when it comes down to the last two weeks of the season, if they're still in danger, Russell Westbrook and Paul George will play 40 minutes a night like it's the playoffs. They will get it together and win enough to make it down the stretch. And so I kind of feel like, again, with a team like Sacramento that's in this kind of race with the Clippers and the Lakers and the Spurs for the 7 through 10 area, I feel like when it comes down to the last couple of weeks of the season – the Clippers, with their veterans, with Lou Williams and Gallinari, I think that they will be able to take care of business in the last couple of weeks in a way that you know, a younger Sacramento team might struggle to do. So I think the Clippers can out-sprint the Kings to the finish. The Lakers, because of LeBron, may be able to out-sprint the Clippers, but the Lakers are maybe also digging themselves too big of a hole with how poorly they're playing right now and the Clippers have one of the easiest remaining schedules in the NBA. So I totally think that a playoff berth maybe is a coin flip for the Clippers right now. I think they have, I think they really want it, not only because they want it from a cultural culture perspective, but if the Clippers miss the playoffs, they keep their first round pick. It's a bad draft. They have to pay the rookie $3 million, which eats into, into their cap space. If the Clippers do not make the playoffs, they send the pick to Boston, their obligation is extinguished, their future picks become available to trade in deals, and, you know, we think about it like, are they going to keep the pick or lose the pick? But in reality, I don't think anyone is expecting the Clippers to be a lottery team next season because the Clippers seem fairly confident that they're going to get a star. So it's either do you want – this year's pick or next year's pick because if you keep the pick this year you're just going to be giving the pick next year to the Celtics so I think the Clippers would rather give the pick to the Celtics this year and then have it either to keep or trade in June of 2020 I think it's right within reach with the schedule they have and the tiebreaker situation I actually even think that the seven seed is really within their grasp um not necess- like, like they're going to have to, you know, play well enough to go earn it, but I think it is within reach, definitely. 
um, to pass the San Antonio Spurs. So, yeah, I mean, I think they sh- I think they should totally go for it. I am kind of feeling ready and fired up to see how they can sprint to the finish in, the la- in these last 20 games. And if it doesn't work out, you know, it doesn't work out. It's not like it's going to be heartbreaking um, given the low expectations for the season, but I'm feeling pretty good about it right now. Yeah, I mean, I think the Clippers have kind of put themselves in a nice win-win where they make the playoffs. It's great. They get their young guys' experience. You know, this has kind of been their goal all season. Or they miss out, and it's, oh, well, you know, we did get younger, and, you know, we're going to get this lottery pick even if we miss. So I think it's kind of a win-win scenario. I'm not quite as optimistic just because, I think even with the Lakers in a hole, I just can't bet against LeBron James. So I put it at somewhat less odds in the coin flip. I think in some ways, actually, their best bet might be the Spurs flipping. Uh, somebody actually just tweeted, Paul Headley, NBA, just tweeted um, the teams in the in the West seed, their their schedule per tankathon schedule strength. The Lakers have the 10th toughest, Kings 18th, Spurs 20th, Clippers 25th. So the Lakers do have the toughest schedule by far of those teams, but they also have the best player by far. I continue to be skeptical of the Spurs. It's been like the third year in a row, and it bites me every year. But I just don't think their roster's that good. <laughs> like, somehow they always magic up 45 wins. I'm not entirely sure how. Um, but I think, honestly, it might be a better bet for them to fall than the Lakers. So those all three of those teams will need to be monitored I agree with you that I think the Kings will eventually fall off. Their net rating is also not great. I think they have like a minus 1.1 net rating, which is, you know, obviously fairly mediocre. They've outplayed their performance thus far. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if they fall back a little bit. I also didn't think their deadline moves were particularly good. Harrison Barnes is an upgrade of sorts, but he's also not great. And Alec Burks, I think, is, Eh, whatever. So, yeah, I mean, I think the Clippers have a decent shot. They really need to be healthy. At this point, I think it's fair to just rule Luke Mbamute out. I don't know what on earth is going on with him, but, you know, I would not be surprised if we didn't see him again this season at this rate. And outside of him, I think they're healthy. Wilson Chandler really does not move the needle anymore. He's like fine wing depth, I suppose, but... Even if he was healthy, I don't think he'd be playing much. Like, maybe he'd get minutes of the four over Jermichael Green. But, you know, I don't, I don't think he moves the needle at all. So, I think the Clippers are most, mostly healthy. The two guys they need to be healthy down the stretch are Lou and Gallo. I think you can throw Trez in there. But if they have good health, and, you know, especially if their young guys play well with more greater number of minutes, I think, I think they, can, they can do it. I wouldn't bet on it, but I wouldn't bet against them either. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's kind of a win-win, though. This draft is horrible. Like, I don't know. There aren't – outside of Zion, I don't want to bet on anybody in this draft making an all-star game, and that's, like, in the entire draft, much less whenever the Clippers will be drafting, which would be, like, 13th or 14th probably. It would be ugly. Really, the best benefit of being in the lottery – would be for that, you know, however small a chance it is at moving up to the one spot for Zion. I think that's really the only benefit is just having that very small chance in your pocket of getting one of the best draft prospects of our lifetimes. So, 
Yeah, I was even I was even joking. Um, I think when like last year during the draft, we were talking about like if there was any way for the Clippers to move up and get Luca, and we were thinking, you know, maybe Tobias and twelve and thirteen, or like how how could we get it done? And I kind of feel the same way about um, about Zion. I mean, he is just insane. Like he is a different kind of stud prospect. Yep. Um, yep. Like if there was some way I don't that think... they could deal with like the Miami pickers, but honestly, I just don't imagine any team that wins the lottery. You know, like people, I, I hear from, from some, from some people in new Orleans saying, well, whoever gets the number one pick is in the best position to make an offer for Anthony Davis. Uh, yeah. I do not think that whoever gets the number one pick is going to be willing to trade it for Anthony Davis, because why would I you agree. trade Zion at, you know, 20 years old, four years of him, then restricted free agency for one year of Anthony Davis. Um, I mean, you know, Anthony Davis is obviously like that dude, like he's a legit A-list top five superstar, but you got limited control over him. He's already much later in his career, so you get way fewer years of him even if he stays with you. I mean, I just Mm -hmm. don't think there's any way. I like, like Zion coming in is, like immediately one of the most valuable pieces in the league. Yeah, I mean, I think Zion is probably the number one pick in this draft, I'd say, because that's going to be Zion, unless some team makes the most ridiculous draft decision of all time. Uh, it's probably the second or third most valuable asset in the entire NBA right now, behind Giannis and Luka Doncic. And honestly, mm-hmm. I I think he's right up there. I mean, I honestly might even put him ahead of Doncic. That I probably wouldn't actually, but he's probably third. Yeah, I mean, those two. Like, yeah. Luca. The thing about Luca is, Luca already came to the NBA and did his thing. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah, yeah. there's a certain extent to even the best prospects. You just never totally know. Even when you know, right. you never for sure know. But once someone comes to the NBA and balls out in their rookie season in the way that Luca has, like, I think Luca is, is maybe has the most trade value of anyone in the NBA. Um, although you know, there's something we said, I think for Giannis being right, being right there as well. But yeah, he's he's like right in that tier, I think, all by himself, or not all by himself, but they are by themselves in a very very exclusive group. Yeah, I don't think the only team I could see maybe flipping that pick if they get number one is the Knicks, both because they're dumb and because they have at least a decent shot at getting superstars who could make, who could keep Anthony Davis, you know, in New York and compete for, you know, a deep playoff run right away. Like, if the Hawks or Cavs or Bulls get the number one pick, like, why on earth would they trade that for Davis? So, yeah. Um I think we, we're going a bit long, so I'll just try to run through, like, a couple very quick tour questions because I would feel bad if we just skip them. We got a ton. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, uh, so the first one is from Michael at M. Jarvis in L.A., likelihood of the Clippers retaining Pat Beverly. Uh, I think this really depends on what else they do, but they obviously love him. I think he likes being in L.A. and with the organization. I'd say odds are pretty high that they try to retain him. I mean, if they get multiple superstars, it'd be tough 
to find the money, but I honestly think they'd find a way. I'd say it's relatively high that they keep him, to be honest. Yeah, so whatever the Clippers do, they'll have their room exception. After you use all of your cap room, um, when you use cap room, you don't get the mid-level exception, but after you've used the cap room, you get what's called the room exception, which is worth like $4.7 million to sign a player. I don't know if that would be enough for Pat Beverly. I think there's a decent chance that some other good team sees the way that he is helping the Clippers win basketball games this season, shooting 39% from three, all of these games where he's got like six points, eight rebounds, five assists, and two yeah. steals. Like, I mean, he has been insanely productive. After a kind of really questionable first month of the season, but I think that was just more him getting his legs under him after being injured last year. But he is as good as he's ever been for the Clippers this season. Um, And I just think I wouldn't be surprised if the main struggle to keeping him is some other good team or multiple other good teams really coming after him. Like he is not going to be an afterthought to good teams looking for winning players this summer. And, you know, I'm not doubting Patrick Beverly's leadership or loyalty by any means, but if someone comes along and offers you, you know, a three-year, $36 million deal, and the Clippers are saying, well, all we have is this one-year, $4.7 million, of course he's going to go um, to, to take the better deal and set himself yeah. up better for the future. So, but if the Clippers don't get a second superstar, let's say they only get one, and then they have that other $22 million to play with, I think one of their top priorities with that other $22 million would be making sure that Patrick Beverly returns because he is just so crucial to what this team has done. Um, maybe, depending on how the roster shakes out, right, you're thinking, well, we have a hole here or a hole there. Like, let's say the Clippers do get two stars and the stars are a guard and a small forward, and now you're thinking, well – we really need to use whatever resources we have left to get a power forward. Different things can happen, but I think that he should be a pretty big priority for the Clippers. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, I think the issue with him, like you kind of mentioned, is that he is, what, 30, 31. He's had some big injury issues, and he's never had a big contract. If somebody is willing to pony up a lot for him, I think he'll take the money. I think he should take the money, absolutely, because this is probably his last, multi-year deal, I would guess. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think he's he's a pretty high priority after getting a superstar. So the next question, I'll only take a couple, sorry, because this episode, you know, is mm-hmm. kind of a longer one, is from Vegas Dan. Uh, what is the new future backcourt, Shea and Landry or Shea and Jerome? I wouldn't be willing to kind of pit Landry and Jerome against each other. I know I've kind of done that on Twitter, but that's just me kind of drumming stuff up. <laughs> um, but I think I talked about this with you, Lucas, is that they are different players. I think both of them are off-ball shooting guards, which means they're kind of in the same bucket. But Landry is a very pure shooter in the J.J. Redick mold. Ideally, you'd want Jerome to have a little bit more off-the-bounce juice in terms of a guy who can also create and attack the basket and just, you know, hit mid-range shots and and what have you, whereas Landry is like a pure three-point sniper who you just have running around all over the court to get as many open threes as possible. So I don't know if you can play them together in that sense, so maybe you do have to make a decision, but I don't think that decision has been made yet by the Clippers. I don't think they should have made it. I think Landry 
is both a more promising prospect and better right now. But, I mean, the, the future is very much out on both of them for a variety of reasons. So I don't think there's any definitive future backcourt outside of Shea being one of them. Yeah. It's easy to yeah, get excited I, about I, Landry right now. Sorry, Lucas. Uh, he was no, he was fine. pretty awesome. He was pretty awesome, and we have just like Lucas mentioned earlier, we just have a ton of more minutes of Landry's like Landry's highlight reel. It's practically more legit minutes than Robinson's had, you know, all season. He's barely gotten a chance to really show us what he's got. So while it's easy to compare the two because they're shooting guards, I mean, it's it's really hard to just say one instead of the other. Hopefully. Hopefully Robinson can just fit on the squad and, you know, even as a bench role going forward, if, if Landry does get that starting spot. So I don't know. I don't I don't want to pit the two against each other. I was, it was very clear what Robinson is missing in terms of his confidence when you see someone like Landry. Um, But it's, it's so easy to say one or the other. Let's hope that both of them keep growing as basketball players, you know? Yeah, I think the main difference, kind of like Rob was talking about, is, you know, if you just look at their college stats from their last year of college, Landry, 15 points a game, a little less than 10 shot attempts a game, shot way more threes than twos, versus Jerome, over 20 points a game, 15 shot attempts a game, shot a lot of threes, but also shot a lot of twos, you know, was basically the main offensive player for Boston College from all over the floor, And it starts to make, you know, I can see Jerome, once he develops his confidence and gets a little more used to the NBA game, being able to do a little bit more on offense than Landry. But the way that Landry moves as a shooter without the ball is, I mean, I think he already has, like, he can claim elite status at that skill, just based on what I've seen from um, from film from the Sixers and in this first game with the Clippers, like you just see him and you're like, wow, he has got this. Um, he, he, he's a player, like capital P player. So, yeah, for me, I think that they're maybe a little different in that mold. I can totally see Jerome being a little more well-rounded as a bench scorer and Landry kind of being that running off of screens starting shooting guard. But it's very early um, and – you know, Landry has been kind of playing consistent minutes for the Sixers all season. He's never had to worry about his role in the same way that Doc, you know, everyone's gotten different opportunities. He's playing well, someone's playing poorly, the lineup shuffling around. But that means for someone like Jerome Robinson, who's had some injuries, who as a rookie guard is going to be inconsistent, he's only played double-figure minutes seven games this season. So it's really hard for him to kind of get his footing feel like he belongs, not worry about making mistakes when he's out on the floor. I would really like to see, even if it's a small role, I would like to see Jerome, you know, the coaching staff to say to Jerome, you're going to get these 12 minutes every night. You're going to sub in at this point. This is going to be your role. You know, this is for your development. Play your game. And have him maybe, maybe eliminate a little of that uncertainty to – see how he can get some comfort out on the floor. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I, I agree with that. I hope Jerome does get some more minutes, even though I've been kind of notoriously a little down on him. I think he still does have promise. And I think, you know, he needs time in order to get better. 
So we're going to, I'm going to jump around. I think it might be the last question. Maybe I'll take one more, but if you get skipped, sorry, but it's because we either talked about what you asked or it's similar to other questions, uh, whatever. Next question from Rick Carrick is, uh, assuming for a second that the Clips sign two mask guys, will SGA be ready to be the point guard on a championship contending team next year? Probably not, but, I mean, that's no slight at Shea. It's just, you know, when the expectations change that suddenly for a second-year guard, you know, I wouldn't expect any guard to be ready to be that, and they're, you know, except maybe if they're a senior um, who spent, like, a lot of time already getting big reps in important games. And that's why, you know, I think a playoff run would be pretty important for a guy like Shea and, and Landry and Jerome would be getting those games in the playoffs against really good teams for extended stretches and important minutes, I think would really help them going into their next season. I think actually in some ways it's more important for the Clippers to make the playoffs now that they're younger than it was beforehand when their team and their rotation was almost entirely veterans who've been in the playoffs before. I don't think it really matters. Now that they're playing, like, five young guys, I think it's more important that they get playoff experience. But as for the question, like, will Shea be ready to be the point guard on a championship contending team if they sign, like, Kawhi and KD? I mean, he won't have to do as much. But, like, there are going to be plenty of shaky games where Clippers fans get frustrated with him and where we'll need to remember that he's, you know, 21 years old and in the second season. But I remain super high on him as a prospect. I think his defense is really, really good. And that if given the opportunity to create more, he would be adding up a lot more big assist games. But, you know, we'll see. We'll take it as it comes. And, you know, it also depends on who their other two max guys are. So if Kyrie, for example, is one of the max guys, I think he and Shea could play together. And in some ways, it would make Shea's fit easier, even though it might stunt his development. But I think, you know, having a real ball handler and lead guard would make it a lot easier to play Shea compared to him still having to be the real ball handler with, say, Clay and Kawhi or something. Yeah, and I also think, um, I mean, I think I even said like a few minutes ago, right, that realistically, even if the Clippers get superstars this summer, their starting backcourt next year could still be two 22-year-old second-year guards. So, you know, not totally sure um, how that would work out. There's still going to be some consistency and growth issues, but Mario Chalmers won a championship in his fourth season in the NBA. Shea is a little bit better, I would say, than Mario Chalmers. I think he's a lot a bit better than Mario Chalmers was. Um, So, you know, if the load is light enough, a young point guard can do a great deal. Um, Shea can carry a little bit more of the load than Chalmers was able to, um, I would say, on those teams. But he's going to struggle with consistency. I do not think the Clippers would necessarily contend for a championship next season. But I do think that if he keeps growing, if he gets reps, and I think it's really important that the Clippers, hopefully this will happen after the deadline moves they made, stop putting him in the corner, let the ball be in his hands, let him make that dumb play against Boston where he throws a bad entry pass and gets it picked off in the first play of the game because those are learning experiences. And you need – he's never going to be ready to be the guy with the ball in his hands 90% of the time if you never let him make mistakes with the ball in his hands. So the Clippers will have Patrick Beverly and Lou Williams 
to help when Shea is struggling or being inconsistent. But, yeah, I think by year three, I don't see a reason why he necessarily wouldn't be ready. Year two, they probably will need a growing year together, get all the pieces in place. But by year three, you know, I, I would hope that he would be ready for what would be needed from him. Yeah. I mean, uh, Rajon Rondo was a pretty young guy on that initial Celtics team. Um, and a lot of people didn't think he was ready, but they won a championship. <laughs> you know, if Shea's not ready, let's just hope that he can grow as a player if we do put him in a position where he's surrounded by superstar-type talent. And every indication has shown that Shea is just a hardworking kid and he's going to work hard to get better at whatever situation is presented to him. So I, is Shea going to be ready to, you know, be a star type of player in his second year when we have two star superstars right next to him? You know, probably not. Is he going to get better and better? Probably just from the indications we've seen from him getting better already. So, you know, Shea's star turn might take more than two seasons, you know, but I do think there is, uh, he has a lot of star potential. So we'll see what he can do with that going forward. Uh, my expectations are pretty high for Shea, but, you know, I also understand He's a rookie, and he's going to make mistakes. He's a rookie point guard, too. So double uh, double time you could expect some mistakes to be made in that kind of situation. So, Okay, last question. Uh, we'll try to be a little quick on this one since I don't, I don't know if we can really answer this in too much depth. But this one, the last one that is kind of a little different, is from Matthew M. Rice. If the Clippers miss the playoffs and retain their lottery pick, what position would you prefer they select? Center like Daniel Gifford, I think it's Gafford actually, but uh, or best pick available. Uh, I think they're pretty loaded at guard. I'd prefer to see them take a wing, but honestly, once you get to like you know the 14th pick, it really depends on what the Clippers are doing. You know, if they think they're going to flip it or if they're going to keep them. You know, how many superstars, if any, are coming? All that kind of stuff. Probably a wing. I mean, what do you guys think are, are best pick available? I don't. I don't know if it really even matters, honestly. Yeah, you think a wing would be best at this rate, especially if we do keep Zubat and uh, we have Trez going forward, and we have just a billion guards. You would imagine a wing. Gallo will be expiring, and he's an older guy, and and uh, a lot of miles on him, and tends to get injured. So you would imagine just a nice, like a small forward type or a nice wing with some size, that would probably be the next step. Because even, even if we don't do anything, we'll have Shamit, Shea, um, Robinson, Sindarius. We have a ton of guards, Ty Wallace. Even if we did nothing, we just have so many guards and all pretty capable, you know, Sindarius Thornwell probably isn't a rotation type NBA player just yet, which is how much he struggles offensively. But the rest of those guys are all good guards. So even if we don't bring back Beverly and uh, some of our other guards, we have so many right now. You would imagine we'd want a wing of the future, assuming, you know, the roster is as is as far as, you know, what we have going forward. I would want a wing. Yeah, that, I mean, the answer for me every draft is like, well, are there any good, decent 6'8 guys when the Clippers are picking? Otherwise, talk to me next year. Um, so yeah, I mean, if there's a decent six, eight guy there when the Clippers are picking, that would be great. Uh, if there's a, you know, I could see there potentially being a real issue if they pick a guard because they already have 
three rookie guards from the last draft um, who were first-round picks. So I wouldn't be shocked if the Clippers – let's say the Clippers do miss the playoffs. They get they keep their pick. I wouldn't be shocked if they tried to move it. Uh, you know, Rob and I have talked about thinking that this year's draft is not very great. And the Clippers don't really need to be giving a $3 million contract to someone who they don't think is that great. Now, if Jerry West loves somebody or there's some 6'8 player who they think can be a building block at the forward positions, I'm like, sure, by all means, you know, let's do that. But one of the other, even if, if the Clippers don't have someone who they really like at pick 14, one of the other 29 teams in the NBA will. So I wouldn't be shocked to see them move out of the draft this year if they do keep their pick, uh, which is why I think it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to make the playoffs and send that pick to Boston and then be able to actually keep the 2020 pick instead. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's probably it in terms of questions. Okay. Uh, Well, a couple of games before the All-Star break at Minnesota versus Phoenix. You'd hope they win these two games. Uh, do you guys see them yeah, winning those to. two games? They they got to win those two, two games if they want to make the playoffs, uh, especially the Minnesota game. Nice to kind of put Minnesota a little bit further out of the playoffs uh, race. And the Suns are bad. So let's hope they go 2-0 yeah, I mean, by the time we talk. The yeah. Wolves are, are tough just because Towns is such a ridiculously bad matchup for the Clippers, but hopefully Zubac helps with that at least a little bit. And the, the Wolves are really banged up right now. I'd say Robert Covington is probably their second best player. He's out. I believe Jeff Teague is playing, but he's on a minutes limit. They don't have Tyus Jones. Uh, there are a couple other guys. I mean, Rose is out, and even though I think Rose is still not very good, he's probably better than, you know, Isaiah Cannon or Jared Bayless, who are the guys who would be replacing him in the lineup. So, they're beaten up, and top to bottom, they don't have that much talent. So, really, it's a matter of not letting uh, Towns go off. And also, Temple is a guy who theoretically should be able to guard Wiggins pretty well. Wiggins is a guy who has some big games against the Clippers, but that's a guy who Temple a bit bigger than Beverly or Bradley, not a bit, like significantly taller, really. That's a guy who should match up against pretty well. Wiggins is probably stronger, a little bit bigger, but it's a fair fight. So really, that's about not letting Towns score like 40 points or something. I think the Clippers should win that. And then Phoenix, I mean, they've lost like 14 games in a row or something. They're absolutely dreadful. So again, this is like the third or fourth game. I think I mentioned this, but if the Clippers lose a Phoenix game, they they don't deserve to make the playoffs. It's it's like a game they absolutely have to win. Like the Suns are atrocious. Yeah, the Clippers. The Clippers have, right? They have eleven games left against like lottery opponents, plus two more games against the Lakers and one more game against Sacramento, who are the teams that they're fighting for on the bubble of the playoffs. But so of those eleven games against teams that are not competing for the playoffs anymore this season, if the Clippers want to take advantage of having that soft schedule with that many easy games and earn a playoff berth, especially if they want to maybe challenge San Antonio for seven, they got to win like nine or 10 or all of those 11 games. Now maybe, you know, Minnesota is one of the better teams in the games that they play and they're going into Minnesota and the team is still relatively new to each other. So maybe this is the one that you drop. Um, 
of those 11 games, and, you know, that would be okay, but it would be – that would really significantly shrink the margin for error that the Clippers have in the, you know, quote-unquote easy games for the rest of the season. If they can take care of both of these, I think they put themselves in a really good position. It's also worth noting that the Clippers are underdogs in Minnesota, which is a little surprising to me, but um, like ESPN's BPI has the Wolves as like a two-to-one favorite over the Clippers in this game. So, you know, for someone like me who's like checking the projections every day and seeing how all of these models are predicting the playoff race kind of panning out, this would be a chance for the Clippers to pick up a win in a game that the models think that they're going to lose, which helps them kind of take one more game step forward towards uh, catching up to a San Antonio. Yep, sounds about right. And uh, then it'll be the all-star break. Clippers will get a nice long break and return against the Memphis Grizzlies and say hello to Avery Bradley and friends. So that'll be a fun game on the 22nd. And I think that'll do it for this episode of the Law of the Gem. The podcast ran pretty long. Thanks for sticking with us through this kind of a marathon episode, but it was a lot to talk about, a lot to kind of delineate with this team, a lot to look forward to. The Clippers are a lot of fun. They're a lot of fun to watch this year, and they should be fun going forward. Uh, for Lucas, Rob, I'm Chapon. Uh, thanks for listening. Leave us a good review on iTunes, as always. Go Clippers! Hurry into Old Navy. One day only, today. Get 50% off all sweaters for the family, including all cozy crew necks and fabulous fair aisles. Hurry, it's just one day only, today, at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Hurry, ends tonight. Valid 218, excludes in-store clearance. Hurry into Old Navy. One day only, today. Get 50% off all sweaters for the family, including all cozy crew necks and fabulous fair aisles. Hurry, it's just one day only, today, at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Hurry, ends tonight. Valid 218, excludes in-store clearance.